in doing that in the last couple of weeks, and I want to correct that this morning. I'd also ask you, gentlemen, at the end of the service, if you would station yourselves outside the double doors, we have the opportunity once again over these next few weeks to bless that family with the giving of our sustenance into their lives and, and helping them at this time in their ministry. Pastor David Slintz comes to us this morning with a fresh word. He's fresh. You understand what I mean as he gets, in, he gets into the Scripture this morning. It's a word from the Lord. And I pray and I trust that you'll receive what Pastor David is going to tell you this morning. Would you do me one more favor and please give Pastor David Slintz a good God Dover four square God bless you as he comes to the pulpit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand just for a moment. I'd like to read a verse together as we are standing from Joshua chapter chapter thirteen. Joshua chapter thirteen and verse one. Amen. Now Joshua was old and stricken, or well advanced in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken, or advanced in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Today, God has us on a journey. Each one of us here is on a journey. We've begun a certain place. And there's a place God's taking us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, for uh, just bringing your word down into our hearts, into our minds today, Lord. I thank you for what you want to speak to us here, Lord. And before we go any further, Lord, I just want to pray for Pastor Dave Wing right now. Lord, we just lift up our hands to you, Lord. We thank you for giving him strength, Lord. As it says in Deuteronomy, strength as is his days, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're going to multiply strength and health in that man's life, Lord. We thank you, Father. And Lord, I pray for every person here, Lord, in the journey that we're on. You would, through your word, give us renewed vision, renewed strength, a better understanding of purpose and desire to attain what you have for our lives, Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You can be seated. And uh, what we want to talk, I'm going to use a good old-fashioned Sunday school visual here called a flanogram, flanograph or whatever it is, flannel board. There we go. All right. How many of you believe that the Word of God is inspired? Do you have your Bibles with you today? Just wave it up and say, oh, I love this book. (laughs) I love this book. And you know, I like to share that, you know, the old, from from Genesis all the way to maps in your Bible is inspired by God. Can you say amen to that for me? The reason why I say the map is because there are, there are things in the Old Testament. And a lot of Christians just shy away from the Old Testament. It's like, well, that's good for Sunday school lessons. You know, the stories that are there, they're wonderful. You know, parting the Red Sea and, you know, all the things that happened. You know, that's good for Sunday school stories. But the fact is, it's the living Word of God. It's the living Word of God, and God takes those things. In fact, what's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'd like you to see this real quick with me. In 1 Corinthians 10, it says this concerning, uh, it talks literally about all these, uh, this is chapter 10, and I want to look specifically at verse 11. 
But the whole chapter begins by reminding, Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant. In verse 1 he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning these things. And he begins to tell them. In, in, in chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 10, starting with verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And he goes on talking about the rock and the things that happened, the whole journey of Israel. That's what this map is all about. Their journey from Egypt to the promised land. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of these stories. I don't want you to be ignorant of what took place to them. And here's the key. In verse 11, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Can we see that up there? We're getting some verses on our screen up here as we go. There we go. Let's read this together, shall we? Now, all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. Do you believe and do you understand today that the ends of the world have come upon us? The ends of the age that we've arrived at the last things that God is actually going to do. What an awesome people we are. But the beautiful thing that Paul is saying is here is that all these things, what happened to the Israelites? It was written, not for them, not their history book. The Old Testament isn't just Jewish history. It's written for you and I. And there's a reason for it. What I want to show you today in the title of uh, the message I want to take, and if we can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, In Deuteronomy, this is an interesting uh, book. In fact, I just finished reading the book of Deuteronomy with my my younger girls. Uh, We go through different books together in the Bible and and, and just read them. And and there's just some precious things in this book. And uh, Deuteronomy uh, literally means a repeating or telling the things a second time. And this is exactly what Moses is doing. They've already arrived. Moses has led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the wilderness. Of course, they ended up getting stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. But then they came to the place of Canaan, and it was time to go in. Moses is taken. The Lord takes him up to Mount Pisgah, and he says, Moses, that's the land. That's the land of, pro- the land of promise, the promised land, Canaan. And he allowed Moses to see it. But Moses, of course, wasn't allowed to enter in. And he told, and so Moses is there, and this is just before going into that land, the, the, uh, the promise that God gave. And Moses is telling the people and reminding them. And he starts off in, in chapter 6, for instance, uh, talking about the greatest commandment. What is the great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength. And this is all Moses reminding them of the things that took place, telling them what God has done. And the title of the message I want to share with you today is this, Taken Out to be Taken In. He took us out to take us in. There's a journey connecting those two places. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 23, it says this specifically, And He, that's the Lord, He brought us from thence, that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. And what I want to present to you today is that this journey 
is exactly the journey that God has you and I on. It's a journey that in this visual that God gives us in the Old Testament makes it very clear what God is doing, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he wants to do in our lives. His purpose in bringing us out, and we'll talk about this in just a minute, but his purpose in bringing us out is to bring us in to the promised land. For the Israelites, it was the promised land. For you and I, it's called the land of promises. I want you to say something with me. Say, I'm on a journey. Yeah, no time to sit down. No time to sit down. We're on a journey. And what God was telling to Joshua, and this is, uh, this is just shortly, uh, this is after many of the conquests took place in, Jericho, uh, in, in uh, the uh, land of Canaan, but God is telling Joshua, Joshua, you're, you're getting old now, and he's already fought many battles. Many of the cities in Canaan have already been conquered, but God says, Joshua, you're old, and you're stricken in years, but there's much of the land that needs to be possessed, you would think God would have said, uh, Joshua, you're old and stricken in years. It's time for you to retire. Let someone else come in. That's not what God told Joshua, is it? He said, there's much land that needs to be possessed. Rise up, Joshua. And Joshua was already in his, he was like almost uh, around 100 years old or so when God spoke that to him. But there was more land to be possessed. Now, the, the journey begins, in fact, years prior to this, years prior to this, God had spoken to Abraham. Abraham had left the Ur of the Chaldees. He had left another country to come where God brought him. And God brought him to this place, and God said, look around you. Walk throughout that land, the length and the width and the breadth of that land. Every place you put the sole of your foot is going to be yours. So Abraham's walking through the land. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. But Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob and his grandson Jacob, they lived in tents. They never actually lived in this land in a way to, 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 to actually live there. God says that this is going to be your land, but... And he told Abraham this. And this was years before. Years before. God said, you're descendants are going to go down to Egypt and they're going to be afflicted there for 400 years. And that's exactly what happened. Now again, the purpose, the goal is this land right here. And that's what I want to show you today. I want us to see that in this journey, there is a purpose. There is a goal for us. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, this is the kind of language that Paul uses. This is the kind of language that Paul uses. Philippians chapter 3, and starting with verse, <clears throat> starting with verse 12. Amen. That was quick up there, Curtis. Thank you. <laughs> We're using a little, new little program to get the verses up here. Let's read this together. This is the language that Paul uses. I don't know about you, but I want his language to be in my life. Does that sound good to you? I want to speak like he did. I want to understand. I want to have that same purpose that Paul had. Here, and Paul says this. Let's read it together if you can with me. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, 
but I follow after. Another translation says, I press on, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Now, you know, a lot of Christians say, well, you know, we can never be perfect. Christians aren't perfect. There's a bumper sticker I think I mentioned before. I don't like it at all. It says, people put in the back of their car, it says, Christians aren't perfect. They're just forgiven. Now, if you have that bumper sticker, I'd forgive you. <laughs> but it's not a very... What basically, you know, basically that's saying is that, you know, Christians can have problems like everybody else, and that's just normal. No, in God's mind, it's not normal. God has a purpose for us. He wants to change us. Do you believe that? We are forgiven. We're going to see in just a minute. But what Paul is saying is, I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on. I'm going forward. I'm going towards a goal. And look what he says, that I may apprehend or that I may get my hands into. I want to get my hands wrapped around the very thing for which God wrapped his hands around me. How many remember the day when God got a hold of your life? Do you remember that day? When God wrapped his hands around you and rescued you? Well, he did that for a purpose. This is what Paul was saying. He says, God got a hold of my life. He laid hold of me for a purpose. And I want to lay a hold of that. Look in verse 13. Look at the kind of language he uses here. In verse 13, Philippians 3, verse 13, it says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, I don't got, my, my, I don't got the whole thing yet. There's still more. And you have to understand, this is the apostle Paul. And yet there's still more he's reaching forth. He says, even though I've not got a hold of it yet, this one thing I do. Everybody say that with me. One thing I do. How many find yourselves doing too many things? Right? You start this thing. Now I got to start this thing. Then you got to come back and finish. And you're always starting something. It's difficult to finish things, isn't it, sometimes? But Paul had a determination in his heart. And boy, if we could just wake up every morning with this fresh determination. He says, I do this one thing. I forget what lies behind. Not just the bad things, but even the successes. You know, sometimes when we have our successes in our Christian life, we start walking carelessly. How many realize that? So sometimes we just need to forget everything here and reach forth to those things which are before. You know, someone, when I was over in India, uh, we, everybody gets up over there a lot earlier than they do around here in this country at least, and they would be up by 4 o'clock every morning. That was a little difficult for me, but uh, they would be up and, and you'd hear roosters crowing everywhere. It was interesting. And I heard one pastor say, he said, you know why a rooster can sing and crow every morning and do his cock-a-doodle-doo every morning? He said it because a rooster is so dumb, they can't remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> it's you and I wake up and we start remembering what happened yesterday and our song goes. But Paul says, this one thing I do, I'm forgetting what's behind me and I'm going to face this direction. I'm on a journey. Say that with me. I'm on a journey. I'm going to go this way. I'm pressing towards this. And look what he goes on to say in the very next verse, in verse 14, Philippians 3, 14. Let's read this together. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Is there a calling on your life? 
You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, God hasn't called me to ministry or, you know, I'm not called to be a missionary or anything like that. I don't have... No, Paul's not talking about ministry calling. He's not talking about the call to ministry. He's talking about the call to be on this journey that God has us on. And every one of us is called to be on that journey. Can you say amen? That's the high call, that the high calling of God. You know, if Christianity is just a matter of getting saved and, and getting in the church and somehow staying out of trouble and not bothering the person next to you, that's not much of Christianity. That's not much of a journey. God has us on a journey to travel. There, there needs to be movement forward in our lives. And, and so many times it's because we don't really realize where he's taken us. We don't understand the high calling. We think, well, I'm saved. I got it now. I'm there. Nah. There is a work that God wants to do in our lives. I don't want to go home and be with the Lord until he's done that work in my life. How about you? Someone said, you know, it's not how old you are, whether you're ready to go be with the Lord. Just because you're older doesn't mean you're ready to go be with the Lord. It has nothing to do with that. It's, it's like a, kind of like a harvest situation. It all has to do whether you've gotten ripe or not. I want to be ripe. I want the Lord to work in me until I'm ripe for the harvest. And God wants to do that in our lives. That's what he's telling Joshua. There is a journey. There's there's more land to be possessed over here. Let me just back up just a little bit here and explain what's going on. God had told Abraham, Isaac, and gave the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm going to give you this land. But he told Abraham, your descendants and your seed are going to be down in Egypt for 400 years. They're going to be afflicted there. But afterwards, I'm going to bring them out. Or you remember how the book of Genesis ends with Joseph being the very one that God used to deliver, really, God's people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and descendants, to deliver his own family from death. There was a famine in the land, and God sent, God sent Joseph from this land as a slave down into Egypt, but it's there that God used him. And Joseph saw purpose. Say that word with me, purpose. There's some key words I'm I'm feeling in my heart to share today. And one is journey. Say that with me. Journey. And the other is purpose. And and God, this is something that was burning inside of Joseph. Pastor Pastor, uh, Dave shared us a couple weeks back about Joseph and that situation. And the reason why Joseph didn't get bitter with his brothers, with his family, with his situation The reason why he didn't get bitter at all the adverse situations is because he knew he had purpose. He knew there was a purpose. Even though his eyes couldn't see it and he couldn't recognize the surroundings, he knew God had purpose for him. And after his father died, his brothers came to him kind of trembling. Joseph, are you going to, you know, are you going to kill us now? You know, we, we know we did some really bad things to you, Joseph. And his, they were kind of trembling there. But you read right now, last chapter of Genesis, Joseph says powerful words. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. You meant it for evil. Yeah, but God meant it for good to save much people alive. He knew 
that God had purpose. You know, when we don't know where we're going, it's very easy in the trials and difficulties and struggles in life, it's very easy to get bitter and complain and uh, have unforgiveness kind of rise up in our hearts. God wants to bring us out of all that. Can you say amen? Something else beautiful about Joseph is that when Joseph was dying years later, he said to his family, he said, listen, God is surely going to visit you. And he is going to take my family. He is going to take you as he promised to Abraham and as he promised to Isaac and as he promised to Jacob. God is going to take you back to that land. And when he does, take my bones with you. Well, exactly 430 years later, when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, guess what they were carrying along with them in a little bag? The bones of Joseph. (laughs) That's the faith, the confidence that Joseph had. He knew there was purpose. And he didn't even see the full fulfillment of it in his days, but there was enough purpose burning in his bones that at least his bones made it. Amen? That's determination. Well, what is the situation in Egypt? That speaks to us about where we were and how we're born into this life. Understand something today. You and I are born in sin. We're born with a nature of sin. We've inherited it from Adam and Eve, great, 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 great grandparents. So don't blame it on your mom and dad. Don't blame it on your grandparents. It's not from your wife's side. It's something that came from Adam and Eve. Born with that nature. So now, some of us look nicer than others. You see, some people are really... But you can take a tiger or a lion, and you can make that lion or tiger, tiger act really domesticated. You can put its, your head inside that lion's mouth. You can, you can teach it to roll over and do tricks like a little kitty cat. But guess what happened? When it starts to get hungry, things change. <laughs> because the nature of the lion is still there. We can train ourselves to look like Christians. We can train ourselves to look good. But only God can change what's inside. Can you say amen to that? Egypt speaks about that whole old life. And not only that, the Bible says we're under the judgment of death. We we are born sinners, and the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. This is what we are in Egypt. This is what happens to us. And the plagues that Moses brought on Egypt, Moses, uh, there were a series of 10 plagues that took place over a period of years, over a period of one year, and Pharaoh just kept getting harder and harder towards the people of God and refused to let them go. The final plague, the final uh, dealing of God was a judgment of death to come upon the entire land. At midnight, the angel of death was going to come and every firstborn in every house would die. Unless they did what Moses told the Israelites to do. Take a lamb of the first year and take that lamb's blood and put it upon the doorway of your house. The children of Israel had to hear what Moses was saying and they had to obey. The moment they put that blood upon their doorway, they were free from that judgment of death in Egypt. Do you see that? Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He is 
our Passover lamb. And by his blood, we are set free from death. By his blood, there is forgiveness. By his blood, we are set free. How many thank God for the blood here today? There's power in the blood. Can you say amen to that? There's power in the blood. Power to cleanse us from all of our sins. There's things in our life. I don't know about, uh, about what God has enabled you to see, but there's things in our life, things that we've done, maybe not with our actions, maybe not with our spoken words, but down deep inside, there's things that are there that the blood has cleansed, that God has forgiven us for. We are forgiven. Can you say amen to that? We are forgiven. There's power in the blood to wash us today. If you've never experienced Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, if you've not experienced the blood washing away all your sins, today is the day for that. Today is the day for you to come to God and say, Dear Lord, I'm a sinner, and I realize the judgment, the wages of sin is death. But Lord, I believe you died in my place on the cross. And I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead, and you offer that gift of life to me. Jesus, I confess you as Lord. And the moment you make that prayer and confession, something happens inside. Something takes place. The blood cleanses you. God writes your name. As we saw last week, we're adopted into his family. We're born into his family. We have the right. The Bible says to them that, that, that receive him, to them gave he the right, the power, the authority to become sons of God. That's the born-again experience. That's what the blood does for us. That happened for the Israelites as a visual for us. As a visual for us. What happened to them, the Bible says, was written for our instruction. It was there for us to understand. Now, here's the thing we need to to get from this, is that even though they they were free from death, they could have said, praise God for the blood. I've been forgiven, washed clean. Hallelujah. They could have been so happy right there and stayed in Egypt the rest of their lives. Was that God's purpose? I mean, they could have, they could have formed a church. First church of Egypt. Washed in the blood. There's forgi- and there's a, the forgiveness of sins, the power of the blood is a powerful thing. It's a powerful truth. But it's just the beginning because we are on a journey. And that night when they put the blood on their doorway, there was something else God, through Moses, commanded them to do. He said this to them. Whenever you take that lamb, you put the blood of the lamb on the doorway. God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. But he said, something else you've got to do. You take that lamb, you roast it with fire, and you eat that lamb, as much of it as you can. Anything that's left over, you got to burn. It's lost forever. But eat as much of that lamb as you can. And here's the way you got to eat it. You can see this in Exodus 12. Here's how you have to eat the lamb. you got to take that lamb, and you got to eat it standing up. Do you guys like to stand up when you eat, or you like to sit down and relax? Just enjoy that food, those ribs and the chicken and like that barbecue. Oh, this is so good. And just after you finish, after you finish, you know, you just kind of want to lie back and think about how good that food was. God says, no, when you eat the Passover, you got to eat it standing up, shoes on your feet, a staff in your hand, because there's a journey. Everybody say that with me. There is a journey. There's a journey. There's, there's a purpose beyond just having the blood wash our sins away. There's a purpose for us. There's a purpose. And as, as Moses began to lead the children of Israel out, they came to the Red Sea. 
The Red Sea is another stage, another something else written for us. What is that? The Bible says they were all baptized in the Red Sea. This experience at the Red Sea did something in their life. And let me tell you today, uh, Brother uh, uh, Don Anderson, he mentioned about um, that they're going to be having a baptism. If you're interested in a water baptism, I don't know if you've obeyed the Lord in water baptism, but one thing I want to tell you, that experience is not just an optional membership kind of a thing. Water baptism is necessary for the journey. It's nece- everything God has for us is necessary for the journey. Water baptism is necessary for the journey. There's something that happens in water baptism for the Israelites. Something happened. One of the most important things that happened is that Pharaoh couldn't chase them anymore. He couldn't chase after them anymore. Oh, I love the story of the Red Sea. I love this, to see how water baptism fits with that. What a beautiful experience. The Pharaoh and his host, they were buried in the Red Sea. What does Paul say water baptism is? It's a burial. It's a burial with Christ. There's power in that grave. There is power to destroy that old nature of sin. There is power to work in our lives. And something specific happened with the Israelites in the Red Sea. (coughs) Something very unique took place. All of a sudden, they were transformed in a very different way. Up until this time, they were slaves. All they knew was, make a brick, pile it up here, make more bricks, getting whipped by the slave masters. That's all they knew. What do you want me to do, master? That's all they knew. They were slaves. They had no vision, no purpose, no goal, no understanding of what to do. All they were were slaves, and they were generations of slaves. My grandma was a slave. My grandpa was a slave. My great-grandfather was a slave. That's all they knew. But the moment they came through on the other side of the Red Sea, all of a sudden they had their first congregational song together. And they began singing, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a man of war. And he's already given us this land. And they began to see God in an entirely new way. They began to see God as a a God of, of, of conquest. And they began to understand that they just weren't slaves anymore. They weren't slaves. You know, we can get used to a certain way of living. Have you heard the story of the elephant, what they do with elephants? They take an elephant when it's a little baby. Now, elephants are strong. How many realize that? Have you ever been to a circus? Have you ever seen elephants? They're, they're little, they're, they're, their big leg, like a tree trunk, is chained to a little pole in the ground. And you wonder, well, why is that elephant just, you know, why doesn't he just pull that thing up and run away? Well, here's what they do. They take these little elephants, baby elephants, and they train them. And they, they take their legs and they chain them into the ground with a very heavy pull. And, they, and, and that little baby tries to get it free from, that, from that, that chain and realizes it can't. And it grows up understanding that that chain on its leg, when that chain is on the leg and it's, near, it's in the ground to a post, that little baby elephant realizes it can't move from there. So it stops trying. And it grows up with that mentality, chain on my leg, attached to the ground, I might as well just stand here. That's the mentality. And so when that elephant grows and becomes this massive beast that they are, they just take a little chain, put a little pole in the ground, not anything major, just just a little bit, but that little elephant, the moment it sees the chain around its leg and looks down, it goes, well, might as well just stand here, might as well not even try. Sometimes we get into that state sometimes as well, don't we? We think, well, I've never done that before. 
That's something new for me. I don't think I can do that. And we just get used to circumstances. Well, these Israelites were like that. They had lost all sight of what God had spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were living bound by their circumstances. But the moment they crossed the Red Sea, something came down deep inside their heart. And they realized, we're not bound anymore. We're free. We have ability. We have God with us. And they marched out. And from that point on, God refers to them as armies of the Lord. Hallelujah. God brings us to that place. Water baptism is a powerful experience. But it didn't stop there. God brought them down to Mount Sinai, which is a perfect parallel. It's a visual for us as well of of what Pentecost is. This actually parallels perfectly with the the harvest of uh, the feast of uh, Pentecost in the Old Testament. And that's why in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, who knows what happened on the day of Pentecost? What happened on the day of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came down. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's another experience altogether. That's another experience. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us. You know, I like what Paul said when Paul was, when he met people. In Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul meets a group of disciples, meets a group of believers, actually. And his first question to them, he knew they were believers. He knew that they, they had been, you know, been saved somehow. And he knew that they were disciples. But his first question to them was, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He wasn't asking if they were saved. He knew they were saved. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we didn't know there was such a thing. Paul says, let me tell you. Let me tell you what the power of the Holy Spirit's all about. Let me tell you what the baptism in the Holy Spirit's all about. And he began to share with them. And they were baptized in water. They baptized in the Holy Spirit, began speaking in tongues. It's a powerful experience. It's another necessary experience for the journey. It's necessary for the journey. If you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you could ask. You know what Jesus said? He said, a father, you can come to your father and you can ask. You can ask. If we, as earthly fathers, as evil as we be, if we can give good gifts to our children, Jesus goes on to say, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? Just ask. Jesus stood up on uh, on one of the feast days there in Israel in John chapter 7. He says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And John writes in parentheses, he said, Jesus spoke this about the Holy Spirit, which those that believe on him should receive. And he was referring to the day of Pentecost. Have you received that experience? Because something powerful happened here for the Israelites. The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't just some little blessing that God touches you with and gives you goosebumps. It's a necessary experience for the journey. It's for the journey. Everybody say that with me. For the journey. It's for the journey. And what happened here in, in Mount Sinai? God showed them how to build the tabernacle. God taught them how to march. God taught them how to be a people, a church, if you will. And then it was time to come to the promised land. And this is where we come to in the book of in Joshua. God is telling Joshua, Joshua, you know, you've been battling. There's been some battles taking place here in this land. But there is much more land to be conquered. Turn with me quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, 
If in this place over here in Egypt, God delivered them. But over here in the wilderness, God began to prepare them. God's plan was never for them to stick around in the wilderness forever. His plan was to take them through to the promised land. And over here, it's going to be something different. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, very interesting what it says here. In Deuteronomy 7, starting with verse 1. Deuteronomy 7 and verse 1, it says this. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it. Now, this is Moses speaking to the Israelites. Now, these are some big words there. Can you see this screen? Okay, kind of some small print there. See if you can read this with me. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it and hath cast out many nations before thee. Now, look at these words here, okay? The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. What is God telling? What is God telling the Israelites? What is God telling his people? In this land over here, in this promised land, God's promised it. But on every one of those promises, there's an enemy sitting on it. There's an enemy sitting on those promises. And we're not talking about the devil here. We have warfare with, we have spiritual warfare with the devil. That's something that we need to understand, put on a whole armor of God and stand strong against those things. But this land of Canaan, this conquest is something else. This is something else. And this is where God is dealing inside, dealing with us. These different nations, these different nations that are there in that, there were a lot of other battles that they had to fight. But the nations inside of Canaan, those were specific nations. In fact, the way they had to deal with these nations was very unique. They could not let anyone live, could not let any survivor live. And God told them, you've got to drive every one of them out. Every one of them. You can't allow even one hoof of an animal to stay of those nations. You <clears throat> need to drive them out. And God told him this. He said, these nations are greater and mightier than you. Now, that doesn't sound like a very restful place, does it? A lot of people think of Canaan, getting into Canaan, think of that as, as a matter of going to heaven one day. Well, uh, you know, this is like heaven to me. I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land, and this is like heaven to me. But in the land of Canaan, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. But in the land of Canaan, there are battles there. There are battles. There are some battles that need to be fought. There's land that needs to be possessed. And like Paul was saying, I've not apprehended the whole thing yet, but I'm pressing on. I'm pressing on to get a hold of what God got a hold of me for. He brought us out to take us in. Joshua was, and and there were two men out of 12 that had gone into the land of Canaan to spy it out. They went in and they saw these nations. They also saw the land was a land that flowed with milk and honey like God had told them. They saw it was a beautiful land. But they realized there were enemies there. 
And 10 of them came back and said, you know, too much for us. It's true there are some great things there, but the enemies are too big for us. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. They said, if the Lord brought us out to take us in, he's going to give us that land. He's going to give us that land. If you turn with me to Joshua in chapter 15, I just want to show you one more person here that had a different spirit altogether, just like Joshua. His name was Caleb. In Joshua chapter 14, Joshua chapter 14, and they've been in the land, it's been about 45 years since they first came out of Egypt. And in Joshua 14, starting with verse 6, it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me out of Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. And then going down to verse 10. Let's read this verse here. It says, And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. How many have that testimony today? You know the Lord has kept you alive. The Lord hath kept me alive. And as he said, these 40 and 5 years since the Lord spake the word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's 85 years old. This is Caleb. He's had to wait 45 years. When he first went into the land with the other 11 spies, when they were supposed to go in the land, He's had to wait for 45 years. But look what he says in verse 11. <clears throat> Can you read this together with me in verse 11? And as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and come in. It's one thing to go out in a war, another thing to come back from that war. You know, there'll be a day when we can lay our armor down. Yesterday we had a beautiful celebration of life. Our Velma Cochran and her funeral yesterday. It was a celebration of life. She's laid her armor down. Is that right? She's laid her armor down. She's with the Lord. But you and I are still here. And there is more land to be conquered. It's so easy to think, well, you know, I'm saved. I go to church. I've made it. Just waiting for Jesus to come. Sweet by and by. He'll be here soon. I'll just hang on. But that's not what God's called us to. He's called us with a high calling. He's called us to be like God. Christ. He's called us to transform us. 
And there's areas of our life that need to be changed and transformed. That's what this whole story of Canaan pictures for us. It's a transformation of what God wants to do in our life. It's the kingdom kind of life God is calling us to. And this man, Caleb, uh, just like Joshua, Caleb says, I want the land. I've had to wait. It's been 45 years. And I'm as strong as I was. Inside him, there was strength. I don't know about you. I'm, uh, I'm, he was 40 years old when he first wanted to go into the land and they couldn't go in. He's had to wait 45 years. Now he's 85 years. He's saying he's as strong as he was when he was 40 years old. Can anybody here say that? See, I'm a little closer to 40 than some people here. But I've gone a little past that too. It doesn't seem like my body's quite the same as it was when I was 40. Uh, now my girls can outrun me. I can't quite figure that out. But the thing is, is that when the Bible talks about strength, it's not the strength of this physical body. We're talking about an inner man that's growing inside of us. Paul says this, the outer man perisheth. How many can say amen to that? <laughs> the outer man's falling apart. You know, hair's coming out, teeth coming out. You know, everything's falling apart little by little. You know, kind of holding ourselves together, you know. You know, the outer man's just perishing. But he goes on, he says, the inner man is renewed day by day. So our outer man may be 85 years old like, like Caleb's was, but inside there can be a roaring lion in there. By the way, do you know that Caleb that's speaking here in this verse, he was, again, he was one of the 12 spies. He was, uh, him and Joshua, the only ones that came back with a good report. Do you know what the name Caleb actually means? The names in the Bible have meaning. Uh, the name David means beloved. I like that name for some reason. It means beloved, loving, a lover of God. Uh, Caleb has a unique meaning. Caleb means mad dog. A mad dog. I don't know about you, but I think that's, God needs to stir that, that animal up inside of us again, that new man up inside of us again, to be able to say what he's saying. I'm as strong today. I'm as strong today as when Moses first sent me into the land. As my strength is now for war, I, wanna, I want conquest. I want to continue fighting. Paul, towards the end of his life, he says, I've fought a good fight. There's battles still yet that remain for us. Things that God still wants to do in our life. And this is what Caleb is saying. He's like, he says, I, I, wanna, I have strength for war. I have enough strength now to both go out and come in. <laughs> that means not just going out to the war and perishing out there, but actually coming back with victory. Don't take your armor off yet. When I stand before the Lord, I want to make sure my armor has lots of dents in it. I want to be sure I've used it for the Lord. This is what this is all about. God has us on this journey from Egypt to Canaan. And coming here is all about conquest. It's all about conquering. And there's things in our life that God wants to do, things that he wants to change, a high calling, things he wants to do in our lives, more of Christ in our lives. If you look with me in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians in chapter 3 and verse 18, 
Paul says this. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. He says, But we all with open face, beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Let's all stand, shall we? And let's pray today. You're, you're on a journey. I'm on a journey. It's not time to retire yet. Not spiritually. If we're still here, like Caleb said, the Lord hath kept me alive. If you're still here today, it's because God isn't finished with you yet. There's more that he wants to do. There's more of the land to be conquered in your own life. There's enemies there. Each of those enemies reveal something in us that God wants to deal with. Sometimes it's not nice to see those enemies. It'd be nice sometimes just to get back out into the wilderness and wander around there. Wasn't so many problems out there. But in the land of Canaan, there's some real battles that take place. Let's pray today. Let's pray for each other. If you can just grab a hold of the hand of the person next to you. And the thing that makes the difference is that we're in this together. We're not alone. We're not fighting alone. We're in this together. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, the word I just feel in my heart that that you're impressing upon us as a church is that we are on a journey. There's a journey that you've called us on, Lord. And that journey is not yet over, Father. There's a purpose. There's a destiny. There's a high call for each person here, Lord. And Father, I thank you for, for working in our lives. I thank you for burning in us fresh desire today through your word, Lord. That, that mad dog desire that Caleb had, Lord, to, to want to have that mountain, to want to go out and conquer more of the land, Lord. More of what you have for us, oh God. Not time to take the armor off, Lord. Time to keep the armor on, Lord. And, and Father, we want to polish up that armor. We want to anoint that armor afresh with your spirit, Lord, today. Fresh oil, Lord, to go forth into war, Lord. Battling not only for ourselves and our lives, but for our families, Lord. For our children, Lord. For others in the church, Lord. There's more land to conquer. Father, I just thank you for doing that in our lives. I thank you, Father, for giving us strength for the journey, Lord. Giving us strength for the journey, Lord. Thank you for touching each one here today, Lord. Thank you for uh, helping us on the journey this coming week, Lord. Showing us your grace to take us through. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you all.